All right, so we are continuing our look at Acts chapter 16, or Acts, I should say. Um, and um, we'll do Acts 16 today, and then Acts 17 next week, and then, um, and then we have Advent. Advent will be upon us, and we'll start a new series during that four-week um, time. Um, today, much like we did a couple weeks ago, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit of the text, or, or a fair amount of it, actually 20 verses or so, and then uh, I will paraphrase the rest of it just because it is so lengthy, uh, but I, I think it's important actually to kind of see it all in context, so I want to be able to, to do kind of the whole chapter, if you will, in the sermon. And so, um, so let's begin uh, with Acts chapter 16. Luke writes this, uh, that they, uh, and the they is uh, Paul and Timothy and probably Luke, uh, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision. And there stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Theatera and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. And while she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advancing customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. And the crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. And following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks." Now, the rest of the story is probably one that you know well. About midnight, we're told they were singing and they were praying when all of a sudden, what happened? 
There was an earthquake, and before you know it, the stocks fell off, the prison doors were wide open, and they were able to escape had they wanted to, but nobody did. But when the prison guard saw what had happened, he ran in, and he was going to kill himself for fear of what was going to happen, when all of a sudden Paul said, no, don't worry, we are all here, no one has escaped. And so then the prison guard said, what must I do to be saved and saved and Paul said, well, you have to believe that the Lord is your God. And, and so he did. And then the whole household was baptized. And, and the next day, the magistrates came, and they were going to release Paul and the rest of his group. And he said, well, I need a, some kind of apology, really, because I am a Roman citizen. This was unjust. They were afraid. They let him go. Of course, very quickly, uh, they went back to Lydia's home for a little while, we're told. And then they left Philippi altogether. And that, sisters and brothers, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we gather this morning after a cold and rainy day yesterday, and we come into the warmth of this building of one another's presence, and we hope and pray of your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that on this day, as we prepare for the rest of a busy week with Thanksgiving uh, just four days away, that in this quiet moment, that you might speak to us, that we might feel your presence and know that you are here. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So this week, uh, on Tuesday, actually, I had the privilege of talking to our second half uh, adventurers. If you're not familiar with second half adventurers, it's, it's a group of, um, there's no way for me to say this without uh, people getting upset, but our seasoned saints. How is that? Um, and uh, they gather together once a month and they have a meal and then usually a speaker. And, uh, and so I love our second half adventurers. Um, I want you to know, I want you to hear this. We have a great amount of experience and wisdom and love from our second halfers, and, um, and they give a lot of energy to this congregation. And that's not always the case, so I, I want to say that, how appreciative I am. I mean, I like the first halfers as well, but I really like the second halfers more. So, um, so anyway, so I was able to be with them, and, and per their request, the leader's request, they wanted to ask if I'd talk a little bit about my travels. And so I, 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 I spent the time, and it was great actually just to kind of reflect on, not just kind of over the last year, but, but, but again, and you guys know these tales, I mean, having, having kind of grown up uh, when we were moving all the time and things like that uh, as being a military brat. And so, you know, being able to think about the ways that my travels had kind of shaped me, uh, how they've shaped uh, my, my call as a follower of Jesus, and even, of course, how they've shaped um, my— uh, uh, much of my uh, uh, being a pastor. I mean, many of my sermons, as you know, I kind of, uh, I, I, you know, I don't have a lot to tell, but I tell those kinds of stories. And so I was thinking about that. And, and one of the stories that you guys have heard bits and pieces of is the first time that I went to London. Uh, I was in Scotland uh, living there, and, and I wanted to get to London as quickly as possible because, of course, London's a great city. At least it looked like it was and the movies. And, you know, I wanted to see all the sites, Big Ben, the Parliament Building, Westminster Abbey, uh, Buckingham Palace, 
us all those kinds of things. I was really excited to, to get down, so I took a little train trip down. And as I've said before, I had a lot of time, but I did not have a lot of money, which meant that I had to stay at a hostel. And you guys know um, I, I'm not a big hostel guy. I'm not a big camper guy. I don't like that uh, at all. And, and so this was my very first hostel experience, if you will. And I think they're aptly named hostel. It's very close to hostile. And so... So I checked in, and I went upstairs to where my room was, and there was a bunch of bunks up there, of course, and, and, and there was already an American and an Australian who were there. And so I threw my backpack down in my, near a bed, and I said, you know, is anybody sleeping there? And they said, you know, you know, no. And the American's like, yeah, thank God, that guy left, right? And I was like, well, why? What was wrong with him? And, and so he went on and said, oh, well, you should have seen. Last night he was very intoxicated, and, and he came in, and he went on to tell a kind of a harrowing tale that's not appropriate for church or anywhere, quite frankly. And so I heard that, and I was already like, well, this is not good. And, and, then, and then he went out, and he said, the American did, and the guy, he was a drug dealer too. And the Australian was like, really? How, how do you know that? And the, the American was like, well, because I, I bought some drugs from him. So at this point, my mind is racing. I'm wondering maybe I can, you know, just scoot in my four-day journey here into one night and go stay at a hotel and not have to deal with this. And I was, I was kind of, you know, just imagining that this one guy was going to come in and kind of a drug and alcohol-induced stupor and think that I'd stolen his bed and that he was going to throw me out the window. I mean, my, your mind can go quickly in these kinds of times. And so I was thinking about all that and figured I needed to get outside, right? So I got outside and began to walk, which was very helpful, right? And I went and I saw a tower bridge. We talked about that, and, 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 and it was beautiful and it was darkness at this point. And, and then I took a left on the Thames. It, were just, it was just south of the Thames, as I recall. And I took a left and started to walk. And, and then I looked across the river, uh, and there was this beautiful dome. And, and here it is right here. You, can, you see it there. Now, for some reason, I had never seen this, or at least I didn't remember it uh, from anything. But does everyone know what that, what that is? St. Paul's Cathedral. That's exactly right. And it's absolutely beautiful. It looks very much, of course, like the Capitol building in D.C. And uh, it was amazing. I didn't know what it was exactly. And so I, you know, I, I don't like for people to know that I'm a tourist. So I always hide. This is back in the day of maps. I, I hide it in my sleeve. So I kind of pulled it out of the sleeve and I looked and I said, oh, St. Paul's Cathedral. Right. And I thought it would be hard to find a more appropriate person to name a wonderful cathedral after this, right? St. Paul, when it comes to our faith, I mean, he is one of the true fathers of our faith, right? I mean, this is a guy who wrote much of the New Testament, who traveled around, who planted lots of churches, and he had a remarkable journey. He did a remarkable amount of things for our faith, and I thought, well, when you think about all the remarkable things that he did, and, and see this remarkable cathedral which stood out, I mean, it is exact, it is good and right. And so I sat there, and I stared. It was, it was night, like I said. It just shone bright. It was beautiful. And then I went on and did a few other things and saw a few other things. About 11 o'clock or midnight, I went back and laid down in the room. Fortunately, the, the crazy guy was not there. It was just the American and Australian who were snoring, which means it was going to be a great night's sleep. And, uh, and, and I laid down, and as I laid down, I just thought, what a remarkable contrast between where I am and St. Paul's Cathedral. Now, you may be wondering, what this has to do with the sermon. Well, you're going to have to, or with the passage, you're going to have to wait just one second, all right? 
Because I want to get back to the passage, and then we'll get back to the story. The passage is Acts 16. And most of us, when we think of Acts 16, most of us, which is why I paraphrased it and didn't read it all, most of us know the story. We talked about it actually not even that long ago right here. And when I was growing up in Sunday school, the teachers loved to talk about this, and I loved to hear about it. I mean, it captured my imagination. Who doesn't want to love to hear, first of all, when you're a kid, to think about being in jail? I mean, that just kind of rough and tumble, and, and there you are, and you're unjustly, have been unjustly accused, and you're sitting there, you know, and they, they always had the pictures, and there's Paul and Silas and others, and they're, you know, and they're, they're there, and all of a sudden, it looks like all is lost, but they are not discouraged. They're singing, right? They're praying. Nothing gets them down. All of a sudden, there's that massive earthquake, and the, the chains fall off. The doors just kind of miraculously open, but nobody leaves, and, and then you have the guy I come in with the sword and all boys and maybe girls, I don't know, I should know, I guess. Oh, they, they have their sword there, right? And all of a sudden he says, no, and before you know it, they're all baptized. And I mean, it's a great, great story. In fact, I have a feeling that Sir Christopher Wren, kind of the architect of St. Paul's Cathedral, that when he was designing the dome, that it was those kinds of stories that he was thinking about, right? It was those kinds of majestic, right, awe-inspiring stories that he was thinking about whenever it was that he built that cathedral. It's a great story. It's a great part of the 16th chapter, but... It isn't the whole chapter. In fact, one of the things that as I kind of continue in this journey of faith as a Christian and even as a pastor, one of the, the things that I've begun to see is that as you, hopefully, as we mature in our faith as a body and as individuals, we begin to see that actually one of the more important parts of the 16th chapter is not what happens in the second half, but but what happens in the first half of Acts 16? I hadn't really thought about this on my own, actually. It was because I was reading a, a, a commentary by John Calvin. Now, I don't always read commentaries by John Calvin, but I, I was reading it when it comes to this particular passage. And I could kind of paraphrase it for you, but I'd rather you hear it straight from his lips, though in a translation because he was speaking French and writing in French, and that would be difficult for most of us at least to understand. But it's kind of an Old English translation, so I'll remind you of that. I, I like to keep it in the Old English because it makes you remember that this was kind of written a long time ago. So here's what John Calvin writes. He says that after, basically, uh, after they'd gotten this vision, he says, these holy men, leaving the work which they had in hand, did cross, cross the seas with great haste, as if the whole nation of the Macedonians would have come to meet them with earnest desire to be helped. Now the success is so far from being answerable to their hope that their mouths are almost quite stopped. And when they enter the chief city, they find none there with whom they may take any pains. Therefore, they are enforced to go into the field that they may speak in an obscure corner and wilderness. Yea, even there they cannot have one man which will hearken to their doctrine. They can only have one woman to be a disciple of Christ, and that one which was an alien. Now, what is John Calvin saying? John Calvin is basically saying, 
It is of no great surprise that our Sunday school teachers and our preachers tend to focus on the second half of Acts 16 because the first half of Acts 16 is remarkably disappointing and boring and somewhat dull. There's not much happening. And yet... It seems to me, as I just said, if we are going to really understand what it means to follow Jesus and be a witness, that actually it is that first half that perhaps has the most to say to us this morning. I mean, think about what happens in that first half of Acts 16. Paul and his merry men think they have a great message, and they do to share. But what keeps happening? They keep praying, and they keep going, and the Spirit keeps closing the doors, right? They go to two places, and the Spirit says no. They think about another place, and the Spirit says no. Now, we don't know how the Spirit said no. I always thought that it was perhaps some kind of vision, but we don't actually know. It very well could have been that they went in, and they tried to talk, and people said, no, we don't care. Or it could be that they went, and they tried to preach a little sermon, and then people looked like they were sleeping. We don't know exactly what it was. What we know is that nobody seemed all that interested or engaged in hearing what was going on. And so the doors kept being closed. It's a little bit like what we talked about with Peter a few weeks ago, where we said sometimes, you know, you don't get to take. Sometimes you take one step, and sometimes you have to take another step and a different step. And so they keep getting rejected. And you know what this feels like probably, right? I mean, you're thinking, why are these doors closing, God? Why are there any open doors? Until finally, finally, he has this vision, right? And there's this man in Macedonia right, which is in Europe, right? They're in actually in Asia. They're in Europe, right? And, and he says, come on. Come on. We need your help. People in Macedonia need you. Come on. And, and so you can imagine, right? Of course they moved immediately, right? They were, they were excited. You know what that's like when someone finally really wants you, right? I mean, it's a little bit like when you're applying for a job and you, you, you think, well, I'm overqualified for this, but I'll do them the service of applying anyways. And then they call you and they say, sorry, you're not who what we're looking for, right? Has anyone ever... Just me. So then, then when finally, right, someone says, oh yeah, we think you're really good. We want you. And you think at long last someone thinks I'm as great as I think I am, right? And so, 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 so then finally, right, they say, yes, we think you have a message. And so he's so excited, right? I mean, Paul, the men, right, they move immediately. They go over and they stand on shore and there is nobody there. There's no welcoming team. Where's that man from the vision, there's nothing. There's nobody. Can you imagine the disappointment? I mean, you think, okay, I'm finally going to go to this place. God's finally opened the door. I've seen this vision. And can you imagine if you were Paul, the pressure you would feel from the rest of the guys who they're like, hey, yeah, great, great call, Paul. This looks like it's real fertile ground. Thanks a lot for this, right? They there, and we're told that they walk around for some days. I don't know what some is. I'm guessing it's more than three, less than a hundred. I have no idea. But here's what I know is they're walking around, and guess what's happening? Nothing. Nothing's happening. They're not finding anything, right? They think, okay, this is it, but absolutely nothing is happening. Then finally they find, right, they find somebody, but not in like the, the, the halls of power like we'll see next week. No, no, it, it was like they, they found some people gathering around, a group of women who, you know, gathering around on this river almost like they're hiding. And so they go, right, and they, they find them. And thankfully, finally somebody decides to listen to them, right, which is great. So you think, okay, th th this Lydia, you know, the, she wants to become a follower. 
follower of Jesus. Yes, okay, this is what I thought about the vision, right? You can see Paul being like, told you guys, this is about to happen. It's rolling. We are rolling. And he, he goes in, and then he goes back out again, right? He's like, oh, man, it's all looking up. And what happens? This annoying person keeps following him around, right? This girl, right, she keeps following around. What she keeps saying, these men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. Now, that's okay, because it's kind of what's kind of true. But it would get pretty doggone annoying if every time you were trying to talk to somebody, they kept yelling that out, right? I, I, I thought about, like, if I was a pastor—well, if I was—I am a, somewhat of a pastor. And so, you know, if, if you're going around, right, if I was going around and I was like, hey, how you doing? My name's Jerry. And this person's like, this man is a pastor proclaiming the gospel. That's great. That's who I am. Anyways, and so this man is a pastor proclaiming, yeah, they got it, okay? Right? And then you try to go to somebody else, and all of a sudden, this man is a pastor proclaiming the gospel, right? Guess what that would get real fast? Annoying, right? Which is great. Luke is so great because he's very honest, right? Now, Paul, give the guy some credit. After several days, finally, he gets so annoyed as to cast out the Spirit, Finally, the spirit is cast out, right? But of course, then going to show that no good deed goes unpunished, all of a sudden, right, they're not very happy about that. So before you know it, they're beaten for this and thrown into jail. You see what I'm saying here? That's not very exciting. In fact, it's, it's kind, of, kind of scary, kind of dull, kind of like, well, well, what are we supposed to do with all of that? And the reality, of course, is that most of Paul's journey, much of Paul's journey was not earth-shaking, exciting stuff like we may want to think. It was actually much more kind of ordinary and no frill. Another way to say it is that really Paul's ministry and his following Jesus, his being a witness, probably looked a lot less like St. Paul's cathedral, right? And a lot more like St. Paul's hostel, right? I mean, this is really more of what Paul's journey actually looks like. It's all more, quite frankly, what most of our own journey in the faith looks like, right? It's, it's much more ordinary, kind of dirty, trust me, a bit stinky, right? But this is the reality, by and large, of much of our journey, and I know that that can be disappointing at times, but I actually think it's actually really kind of life-giving in a lot of ways. That the, the way of faith, as we see oftentimes in Acts, is not embedded in the flashy and the wonderful, but instead in the remarkable ordinary. And that's hard for us. You see, I think the church in many ways has succumbed, perhaps even our own vision of what it means to follow Jesus, to, to the celebrity, to what is exciting, to what we know for sure is going to be successful, to the flashy. Right? I mean, think about how many Americans, perhaps even some of us here, who would rather spend a couple of hours watching, right, a show about a celebrity, real life, a reality TV about a celebrity, than actually engaging in their real lives and neighbors around them. One of Megan's favorite comedians, she just lives off of pictures that she does that, that kind of mock how it is that celebrity and advertisements depict things versus how things actually are, right? And so, so here you have this, this first picture here. You know, on the left, if you can see it, this is a woman eating a salad, right? As if it's all great and wonderful. But to the right, that's what eating a salad is really like. 
right? It's kind of leafy. It doesn't look that great. It's not nearly as nice, right? Or this next one here, you can see this is, you know, as if, if your head, if your hair was out, you know, of the car, you know, that it would look all majestic. No, to the right, this is what it would actually look like if you were really doing that, right? Or this next one, right? This is child rearing on top. Oh, is it so nice? No, at the bottom, that's actually what it looks like to raise kids. This is, this is reality, right? And in, and in many ways, it seems to me, the church has gotten caught up in that, right? And so, so what we talk about is, hey, exciting worship. This is great. This is fantastic, right? This is, this is what it means to follow Jesus. When in reality, following Jesus throughout the week is caught up in the very, very ordinary, sometimes messy, not always beautiful, right? And yet God is found right there for those who have the eyes to see. And even if we look at Scripture, if we are looking at the right things, we see that reality. And so the question then is, how can we engage in that? What's the, how can we begin to discover more and more the joy of following Jesus, of being a reflection of him, not in just the exciting or what we know is going to be the successful, but also in what is absolutely very ordinary, what is sometimes disappointing. The life of following Jesus is sometimes filled, hopefully filled with prayer, but also filled with shut doors. Then sometimes the doors are open. Then we get our hopes up. Sometimes they're fulfilled. Sometimes they're not fulfilled. We get caught up working with people who are kind of annoying at times. And other times we find people that we really like. That This is kind of the normal part of the journey. It's not all beautiful, but if we can engage in small practices of faith in the midst of our ordinary, we will see Jesus, it seems to me. Think about the passage. What is Lydia? What does Lydia do? Well, Lydia, in the beginning, you know what she does? She simply listens. She listens to the story of Paul. And that one act changes her and then changes her household and then what does she do? She welcomes them. The practice of hospitality something we talk about a lot here. She welcomes them into her home. Lydia, she's a seller of fine linens, so she's probably a woman of great means. She's generous, right? She's generous with her home. She's generous with her food. She's a generous person, right? These little acts. Now, Lydia probably has no idea how this is actually going to shape not just her, but the church in the future, think about if you're Paul and you're, you're his companions and you've been going around for several days and nothing has been happening. Think about the encouragement that you receive from Lydia saying, this is good stuff. And how might that then have spurred Paul to continue on? Or think about Paul. What does Paul do? Paul prays. He keeps praying. And sometimes the doors are closed, but you know what? He doesn't stop. Paul keeps going. What else does Paul do? He walks. We talk about this actually here. He just walks the streets, right? He walks the streets just to see what's going to happen. I think that can be a faith practice of walking the streets, walking along the river, seeing what exactly is there something that the Lord is going to open his door to, right? What else does Paul do? Paul deals with people, right? A spiritual practice is actually engaging with people of all sorts even perhaps especially those that are somewhat annoying at times, right? It is a gift. It is a practice for us to engage with them, right? To continue to work. Now again, even Paul, as he does these little steps, I mean, it's so hard for us because we think of the cathedral. We think of all these stories. But think about Paul has no idea what's going to happen in the future, but he just keeps walking. He keeps praying. He keeps working. He keeps hoping. Is there not something in those little tasks in the ordinary that might speak to us in our ordinary today. Now here I want to bring up just one small but significant 
point, which is that a part of the reason why I think Paul and Lydia and others in Scripture are able to just take little steps, step after step, and practice little things of faith, whether they are successful or not, is because they know verse 14. Verse 14 says this, The Lord opened her, being Lydia, Lydia's heart, to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. In other words, how is it that Lydia actually heard this? Because God was the one that opened the door, which means ultimately, guess what? It isn't up to us as to whether or not our witness is successful or not. It is up to God. And our call is simply to continue to practice, to continue to work, to do these small things in the ordinary, to not become dis overly disappointed, to not lose hope, but to continue to give and to be hospitable and to listen and to pray and to sing and to go past closed doors and to look for open doors, all of those, and then see where the Lord is going to work. I was thinking about that last weekend. You may uh, probably don't know. Last weekend, for a, a couple days, we hosted here a small group of teenage moms. And, and, and the group that gathered, there were a couple ZPCers and then some women from some other church that were there to help as well. And, 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 and what we, 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 they, they served them food. They took care of them. Um, um, and they were a listening ear for them. They were able to remind them of Jesus' love. Uh, they cooked for them. They did all of these things, right? These very kind of small little things. And do you know how successful that's going to be at some point? Do you, know, do, do you know how some of these single moms are going to learn and grow from that? No. We have no idea. It could be wildly successful. There could be a time when one of the women, 30 years from now, says this one church opened up their house or opened up their church building for us, and if it weren't for that, this is, this is what happened. Or it could be that nothing happens. We have no idea. It's not in our control. Do you know what we are called to do? To be hospitable and to listen and to love no matter what. That's our call, and then we see what God does. Right? Or, or this week I heard about a ZPCer who, who, who there was kind of a co-worker of his who was struggling, right? And has just the whole litany of kind of struggles that she had gone through this whole past year. And, and she had her car in the shop and she couldn't get it out unless she was able to pay for it. And she couldn't pay for it. And you know if you live in this area, the subway system is not very good. You need a car, right? And so he was generous enough to pay for that, right? And so that, so that then she could actually have her car, this act of generosity. Now, is all of a sudden, right, she's going to be full of hope now, and she's going to end up saying, hey, I really want to follow Jesus. Now, I have no idea. We have no idea. But what I do know is that his act of generosity of saying, hey, I don't know what's going to happen, and I, but I'm going to practice this act of generosity for you out of love for you, out of love for Jesus, right? All we know is that's what we're called to do, those small little acts, not waiting for the cathedral moment, if you will, but being content in the hostile moment of where we live each and every day. So here's the question then. It's a very easy question. This week— what, what are those ordinary acts, those ordinary acts of faith that you can do? This is a week that, you know, is a little bit set aside, this Thanksgiving week. Maybe, maybe it's somebody, maybe you know somebody, and you know this person may have no place to go for Thanksgiving. And perhaps your call, if you've been waiting for a sign, this is it. Perhaps your call is to invite them into your home. Now, what's going to happen when you invite them into their home? that may change his or her life. 
Or you may get at the end of the day and the rest of your family is like, how come you invited that guy over? This was miserable. That's okay. Our responsibility is to practice those small steps of faith. Maybe there's going to be a family or friend who comes over who you know is struggling, and maybe your call is to simply listen to them. Right? The act of listening, right? Just as Jesus listened to so many, we are called to act of listen. Just as Lydia listened to Paul, you never know what's going to happen in the midst of that. Maybe it's after you've eaten your four or 5,000 calorie meal and you decide to go out for a walk in the streets. Maybe as you do so with your group, with your family, with your friends, maybe you take a couple moments in the midst of that, right, to pray, to pray for doors, to pray for the neighbors, to just pray and say, I don't know what's going to happen when I do this, but, but, but if we begin to pray, maybe something's going to happen. Maybe... Maybe you have a particular family member who's coming over who is remarkably annoying. Maybe this is the weekend when you cast out that spirit. I've been fasting, ready for myself to do that this weekend. Just kidding. But remember, Paul went several days, right? So most of your family and friends aren't going to be here for longer than that. So surely you can go several days with that person and perhaps the message is not to cast out the Spirit, but perhaps the message is to learn how to grow in patience. I want you to know something, especially in our world. If you are patient, it will stand out. And people will wonder why it is that you are so patient. I don't know what it is for you this week. All I know is... What I don't want you to do is to wait for the perfect cathedral-like moment to be a witness or to follow Jesus. I want you to know that right where you are, whether you are staring at a closed door or an ordinary door, whether you are staying in a hostel or the most majestic place in the world, that when you get caught up in the very kind of mundane, no-frills kind of day, which quite frankly is the days that most of us have most of the time, I want you to know that Jesus is there in the midst of that. And my hope and my prayer is that we will continually to discover where God is in those ordinary parts of our days. And can you imagine if the 500 or more of us who gather this morning, can you imagine if all of us decide to do that, how it is that God might continually build up his kingdom? It may not turn into the most beautiful cathedral, it may look much more like a hostel. But it will be exactly what God has called us to do. May we be that hostile-like people in an oftentimes hostile world. And may Jesus and his kingdom be reflected each and every day in our ordinary world. Amen? Let's pray.